Well, the virus has now killed more than 100 people in China, and new cases have been confirmed around the world. So you don't want to frighten the American public. France and South Korea have also got evacuation plans. Which you need to prepare for and assume. Strongly warning Americans to avoid all non-essential travel to China. That this is going to be a real serious problem. France, Australia, Canada, the US, Singapore, Cambodia, Vietnam, the list goes on. Health officials are investigating more than 100 possible cases in the US. Germany, a man has uh, contracted the virus. The epidemic is a demon and we cannot let this demon hide. Japan, where a bus driver uh, contracted the virus. Coronavirus has killed more than 100 people there and infected more than 4,500. We have to prepare for the worst, always, because if you don't and the worst happens. War Room Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. More than the style of his writing, though, it was the content of Justice Scalia's reasoning that shaped me. His judicial philosophy was straightforward. A judge must apply the law as it is written, not as she wishes it were. Sometimes that approach meant reaching results that he did not like. But as he put it in one of his best known opinions, that is what it means to say that we have a government of laws and not of courts have a vital responsibility to the rule of law, which is critical to a free society. But courts are not designed to solve every problem or right every wrong in our public life. The policy decisions and value judgments of government must be made by the political branches, elected by and accountable to the people. The public should not expect courts to do so, and courts should not try. That is the approach that I have strived to follow as a judge on the Seventh Circuit. Trump can be and must be expunged. The hate he has triggered, the Pandora's box he has opened, they will not be so easily destroyed. So, let us brace ourselves. The task is twofold. The terrorist Trump must be defeated, must be destroyed, must be devoured at the ballot box. And then he and his enablers and his supporters and his collaborators and the Mike Lees and the William Barrs and the Sean Hannity's and the Mike Pence's and the Rudy Giuliani's and the Kyle Rittenhouse's and the Amy Coney Barrett's must be prosecuted and convicted and removed from our society while we try to rebuild it and to rebuild the world Trump has nearly destroyed by turning it over to a virus. Remember it, even as we dream of a return to reality and safety and the country for which our forefathers died, that the fight is not just to win an election, but to win it by enough to chase, at least for a moment, Trump and the maggots off the stage and then try to clean up what they left. Remember it, even though to remember it, means remembering that the fight does not end November 3rd, but in many ways will only begin that day. That is Keith Oberman here in the war room. Keith Oberman, a Disney ESPN employee, getting a big paycheck uh, from Disney and ESPN, talking about the maggots you got to take off the stage, wants to jail uh, Judge Barrett. She's up uh, right now in Capitol Hill for day two. You're in the War Room. It is the uh, Tuesday, the 13th of October, Year of Our Lord 2020. We're in New York City and in Washington, D.C. Got Raheem uh, and Jack anchoring down in uh, Washington, the nation's capital. I'm here in Midtown Manhattan. Uh, we've got a lot to go through today. John Frederick's Radio Network 
on Newsmax, now in 70 million homes, Newsmax TV, and of course, Real America's Voice, the streaming platform for the Trump revolution. It's now Dish Channel 219 and Comcast Chicago Channel 113. They're going to have a lot more cable deals to announce here uh, over the next uh, several weeks. Also, G News GTV in Mandarin uh, throughout the day. I want to thank uh, the, our folks, all of our listeners and viewers in New Zealand, Australia, Europe, uh, and then uh, obviously in China. I want to go now to David Rifkin of Baker Hosteller. Uh, we we uh, had to play that again, uh, Overman, from yesterday, uh, David, just to make sure that we've set the stage properly of, uh, of what the stakes are here when you talk about Judge Barrett. You have people like Overman, a Disney employee, uh, ESPN employee, uh, you know, talking about uh, putting, you know, got to expunge all the Trump supporters from the public stage and put them in prison. Uh, David, uh, today, what, what should people, what are the fireworks going to be around Judge Barrett and what should people be looking for in this hearing? Well, uh, I think the key issue to look at where the Democrat senators and the Judiciary Committee are going to uh, go completely unhinged as far as their attacks in the context of asking questions, but these are going to be questions in the form of an attack or attack in the form of questions where not they'll be able to restrain themselves enough not to create, uh, if you will, um, opportunities for this to play back against them in the campaign context because they're going to attack her for religious beliefs, um, may not be as pronounced as when she was up for the Seventh Circuit um, a couple of years ago. They're going to attack her for uh, her beliefs about uh, uh, life and the sanctity of life, all things which are utterly relevant uh, for a jurist who believes uh, in the proper function of judges and justices, which is pronounced with the lawyers and completely decouple these types of determinations from their personal convictions. But, um, I don't think there's going to be any unexpected developments. As I said, interestingly enough, this is more about how the Democrats will behave. will behave badly. The question is, again, how badly. Uh, do you see any obstacles right now in, in the process? I mean, today will be questions answered. I think they'll actually roll it over till tomorrow, and I agree with you. It's going to be nonstop attacks. But do you see, as you look at it now, do you see anything that blocks this going to the, uh, the Senate floor next week for a debate and then, and then a vote sometime midweek next week? No, I think it's pretty much preordained, uh, which is a good thing. I think she'll make an excellent justice. One thing you obviously noticed yesterday, uh, it is remarkably depersonalized uh, set of statements by the Democrat senators. Depersonalized meaning that uh, even compared to the Kavanaugh nomination, it is really not about Barrett at all. And, and that point was made by uh, several Republican senators, including Chairman Lindsey Graham. Uh, they're essentially attacks on the president, who is not in the room. Their attacks more broadly on the ability of, of Republican-controlled Senate uh, to discharge their constitutional advice and consent function. You remember a number of statements that basically, uh, you know, including from members, including from uh, professoriate, from uh, Democrat-leaning commentators, including Ruth Marcus of Washington Post, which I think wrote a couple of days ago that basically uh, Republicans cannot fill the, the two seats, not just meaning the, uh, the Ruth Bader Ginsburg seat, uh, but also presumably Scalia's seat, because they're not their seats. 
So the, the, the broad challenges to the legitimacy of any effort by the Republicans, uh, with nomination by the President, vice consent by the Senate, to fill those seats. So it's remarkably depersonalized, I think, reflecting the Democrat recognition of realities, which is they're not going to be able to stop it. So it is ugly, it's unfair, but it's really not about Judge Barrett at all. Let's go back. A couple of concepts were thrown out yesterday. I want to make sure our audience, uh, that you could frame this for our audience, more of the signal than the noise. They talked about Judge Barrett as a textualist and opposed to kind of the living constitution. I guess what I want to see is what is Judge Barrett's judicial philosophy versus what did the really this kind of emotional outpouring, this emotional meltdown by the Democrats, what is their judicial philosophy. I call it a living con textualist versus a living constitution. Uh, but can you frame this for us, for our audience? Sure. I mean, as best as one can discern the Democrat judicial philosophy these days, and for a while has been essentially result-oriented jurisprudence. You figure out what is the right result to achieve in a given case, and then you creatively rewrite, if it's a statutory interpretation, a statute, the constitutional interpretation, the constitution to get the right result. So it's not even that you have, look, all efforts to decouple process of judging from the text and text uh, based upon the original public meaning of the words at the time they were written. Uh, any efforts to decouple your judging process from that, turn the courts into the second legislature, render it completely unconstitutional, unaccountable, et cetera, et cetera, all bad things. But I want to emphasize for your listeners, it's not even uh, some kind of a coherent interpretation of the various constitutional clauses that, that the Democrats have come up with. The only interpretation is whatever helps you to get the right result, right result determined by what? By your policy preferences. Needless to say, that is not a proper judicial function, no matter what the result is conservative as far as a policy outcome or a progressive. So, um, no, it's, it's, no. It is utterly actually demeaning to a judiciary, if you think about it. And doing that and been done by, you know, uh, non-textualist judges and justices for a number of decades now, it, it provokes resentment. I mean, what's the point of, of participating in the democratic process, electing uh, people to the White House and Congress, have them pass laws, working together, and they don't mean anything. And they're, just, they're meaningless, com completely devoid of any fixed meaning. Let me go to the, the, the rap that you hear if you're watching MSNBC. Why, when we say textualists, why should we have a judge or a, add an associate justice to the court that is has a fetish for a document that was drafted a couple of hundred years ago before any type of mod, in before the steam engine, right, uh, by a bunch of uh, white male slaveholders. Why, why, should we, why should we have this fetish? Because you hear it all the time on MSNBC. Every show is the same thing. So as being a textualist, what's the defense of being a, a textualist? Defense is very simple. If we're going to have any functioning democracy where uh, you discharge your democratic processes according to the rules that are governed by the underlying constitution and, and in a given point in time governed by statutory law, 
those laws and those constitutions, whatever imperfections of the members of Congress that enacted a statute 10 years ago, or the framers, who I think were remarkably brilliant and, and virtuous people by and large, so shoot me despite some of their flaws, if you're going to to take the position that what they've done is illegitimate. You do not have any proper structuring, any proper cabining of a democratic process. And you know, we have a mob rule, you know, kind of Athenian-style democracy where everybody piles into a public square, I used to call it agora, and do whatever the heck they want. That is utterly unacceptable outcome. So, importantly enough, in order to give proper weight, proper voice to the majority of today, we need to respect the majorities of yesterday. And the reason the Constitution signifies is not because just of a framers who wrote it, because it was after many debates ratified by whatever franchise, which needless to say was imperfect, did not include uh, people of color, did not include women, excluded many whites too because of a, you know, property uh, qualifications. That was the franchise of that time. That was their democratic choice. If we're not going to respect their democratic choice, whose democratic choice are going to respect? Democratic choice of, of, of yesterday's Congress that passed given statutes? No. There's only two choices, utter chaos and violence, which is what we're seeing in many places now, regrettably, or respecting the democratic choice of a previous generations as reflected in the Constitution and statutory law. And by the way, if you don't agree with it, follow the proper procedures and change them. Enact new statutes, amend the Constitution. The processes exist. So the, the criticism of SNBC is, to put it somewhat gently, is idiotic. Uh, real quickly, David, we got about a minute. Uh, uh, talking about changing the process, Biden. They're talking about packing the court. How do they? How can they pack the court? And can they technically really do that? Of course, they can do that. And packing the court, of course, does not mean filling the vacancy. Talking about creative, uh, a living interpretation of a of, of an established term. Uh, we abolish if, if unfortunately the Democrats win, take the White House, take the Senate. They abolish the filibuster by simple majority, and they expand the court to any size they want. Uh, it is completely constitutional. It is not unlawful. It would be a horrible result because it would dramatize for everybody. They've, in fact, court packing would enshrine uh, in all its ugliness their view of a court, which is essentially another legislature's job is to deliver certain policy outcomes. It would be a horrible thing. It was, would have been a horrible thing if FDR did it. It would be even more horrible thing now. But I have no doubt that if they were to win, they're going to do that. They just would not be able to restrain themselves, even though it would greatly delegitimize uh, the courts and the Supreme Court in particular. It reminds me of the famous Vietnam War era expression, yeah. we had to destroy the village to save it. Not a smart David, thing in we, warfare. We appreciate it. We'll get your social media up next. David Hostel, or David uh, Rifkin from Hostel Baker, thank you so much for joining us. We'll return in a moment with his social media handle. War Room Pandemic with Stephen K. Bannon. The epidemic is a demon, and we cannot let this demon hide. War Room. Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. David Rifkin. Uh, Jack, I want to get his social media handle. David Rifkin is one of the most respected constitutional lawyers uh, in Washington, D.C., senior partner over Baker Hosteller. And i got to tell you, we, you heard him all the time on the impeachment process. He was never wrong. Always has massive op-eds in the Wall Street Journal, just dropped a bombshell 
Uh, he says, hey, they're going to flip. They're going to take uh, uh, the figure, get rid of the filibuster day one, and they're going to uh, they're going to pass. They're going to pack the courts. That means if they get rid of the filibuster, get ready for Washington D.C. and Puerto Rico uh, to be states. Get ready for another hundred seats in the House of Representatives. Of course, Jack Maxey, the one and only Jack Maxey, says, don't worry about Puerto Rico. It's coming in as a hard red state. So, um, by the way, uh, on a so I want to get into more of that with uh, with Raheem and Jack. But breaking news on the Daily Mail, because you guys are get, get a chance to kind of watch it down there live. Headlines, largest news site in the world. Amy Coney Barrett says she can, and that's all caps, like one of President Trump's tweets, set aside Catholic beliefs to rule fairly, but refuses to say she would overturn Roe v. Wade or same-sex marriage as she faces withering questioning from, uh, from Democrats. Jag Maxey, Raheem Kassan, make me feel better. Listen, I think she's... Hey, don't tell me Judge Barrett is, is... He's not falling already under the pressure. She says she can set aside her Catholic beliefs. Where's Michael Matt? Where's Michael I, Matt? Where's Liz going to get him on here? There should be in core meltdown right now. I think it goes back to exactly what she talked about, her judicial philosophy. She judges on the words that are written on the page. She doesn't create any secondary story about the intentions or if they were alive today. So, of course, she can separate her Catholic faith from the law because the law for her is immutable. It is simply the words written on the page in clear English, and those are the words that are to be interpreted. She is not going to legislate from the bench. And what is horrifying to me is the fact that she won't legislate from the bench is what terrifies the Democrats the most because the narrative that judges are the ultimate arbiters of cowardly legislators seems to be the narrative that the Democrats want the American people to believe is the purpose of the court. One thing that David Rivkin said that I thought was fantastic, really stuck in my mind, was the idea that if we can't respect the democratic decisions, i.e. the legal decisions of the past, how can we expect to have any respect for the democratic outcomes of elections today? I thought that was very pointed. I also wanted to touch back on Keith Olbermann because he's a bomb. I think we got an update, Steve. We went from deplorables to maggots. I think that the audience should be pretty excited about that because what do maggots do? We eat dead flesh and then we fly away. That's what we're going to do with this country. We're going to eat up all that dead flesh. The army of deplorable maggots on November 3rd taking the Democratic Party off of the scene. Jack Maxey on a roll right there. Uh, Raheem Gassam, I want to go back to uh, to David Rifkin. Uh, Jack, if we can get David Rifkin's, uh, let's give a shout out to his social media uh, handle. His okay, Twitter handle if we can. I know on he's Twitter, proud of it's that. at David Rifkin, just as his name is spelled R I V K I N. He also has davidrifkin.com. He is somebody everybody should follow because he has tremendous insight and he's a brilliant mind. Yeah, this is one of the most. This is one of the wise men in Washington. So, for our entire audience, make sure you're you're adding him to your Twitter account to follow him. He's very proud of that Twitter account. I think he just started. He just started learning how to use it uh, during war room impeachment. So he's very proud of that. Raheem, I thought that was a bombshell. Rifkin's not a guy. If you go back and look at the op-eds, you look at his analysis during the impeachment. He's not a bomb thrower. That was a bomb. He says, "Hey, look, don't don't listen to the happy talk." They're going to get rid of the filibuster day one. 
which we talked about with President Trump. I was a big advocate for doing it because I said the Democrats are going to do this as soon as they get in. You're going to get locked up and not get anything through. That's what happened in the last four years. Rifkin, not Steve Bannon, Rifkin says they're going to do it immediately. They're going to add two states, uh, Washington, D.C., and uh, red state Puerto Rico, uh, to, 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 and then add 100 seats in the House of Representatives. And he says they're going to pack the court. He just said, hey, absolutely, they're going to try to pack the court. Raheem Ghassam, what say you? Well, firstly, I just want to say I am not subscribed to the flesh-eating part of what I just heard. Not, not, not into that. Um, look, you mean, I, Jeff, hold on, hold on, Jack the Maggot Maxi, Jack the Maggot Maxi, <laughs> the head of the maggots. Yeah, I got the right coloration. Um, look, I mean, I think a lot of people have been talking about this for some years now, the propensity for the Democrats to do this. I mean, was it was it... Was it you, Steve, who was saying, you know, this president is going to be in these people's lives for the rest of their lives, right? And that is something that they have yep. to try and and deal with. They have to try and extract somehow. And the way that he's going to be in these people's lives for the rest of their lives, in, in one of the senses, is the appointment of younger Supreme Court justices. Um, and, uh, you know, in order to get around that, to get over that, I think David Rivkin's right. I, I don't think there's any, you can hide from it at all at this point in time. Joe Biden's asked the question outright, hey, you're going to pack the court, the American public deserve to know. He says they don't deserve to know. It's a clear answer. They're not even hiding it. Well, yesterday he said, I'm not a big yeah. fan, but he refused to clarify beyond that. I mean, this guy is just stumbling. And the reality is he can't answer. You know why? Because he hasn't checked with the squad yet on what the position is going to be in his administration. Yeah. Okay, I want to go to uh, now to the practicality of uh, voting. P people should understand, particularly in the Warren Posse, is that uh, the stakes couldn't be higher. I mean, Keith Olbermann, Keith Olbermann is saying the quiet part out loud of what they intend to do. But David Rifkin comes in and says, hey, they're going to make massive structural changes to put themselves in power. Remember, the model they want is not the model of the framers. The model they want is the model of Xi. They want to go to a more authoritarian former government. They want to go into people having a less voice. And they don't want, any, they don't want people that are not there in the minority not to have any voice. So they're going to tend to run the table. And David, uh, David Rifkin, senior partner of Baker Hostetler, you know, very judicious guy, sitting there going, hey, immediately they're going to get rid of the filibuster. They're going to add a couple of states, add 100 seats to the House of Representatives, and pack the Supreme Court. They have no compunction how to do it. So this is what the stakes are. If you're sitting around and haven't made phone calls yesterday and haven't gone knocked on doors, uh, just to remember, at uh, you know, close to midnight on the third of November, I don't want any tears. I don't want any whining. I don't have you know the phone lines jammed the next day. Oh, if we'd only known, we said this back in eighteen. This is where Raheem just picked up that phrase and said, "Hey, they understand that Donald Trump's going to be in their lives ten, twenty, and thirty years from now because of structural changes he's doing, and also because of what he's doing with the courts of putting in all these young appellate court justices like Judge Barrett, right? You know, these brilliant jurists." Uh, that uh, that come out of the Federalist Society, they're absolutely stunningly brilliant, right, that are going to be in the courts and control the courts for the next uh, 10, 20, 30 years, that they're going to be in their personal life. That's where they're leading with Roe v. Wade, and that's where they're leading with gay marriage. And this is why they're all over Judge Barrett about being, hey, guess what, a Catholic, right? She's a practicing, observant Catholic, and they're all over for They hate her for that. Uh, I thought we put that re religious bigotry aside 
back at least uh, at the time of, uh, of John Kennedy. Let's go to the practicality uh, now, guys, of the, uh, of the actual uh, voting. I want to get to that. And then, uh, Raheem, I know we're going to have some updates later on Denver and things are happening out there. But I want to go to yesterday in uh, – and by the way, I'm a huge supporter. If early voting is what people want, that's fantastic. In Georgia yesterday, you know, people are waiting 10, 11 – they said almost 12 hours in line to vote. I mean, that's just not acceptable. I don't know what the problem is down in Georgia, but if people come to vote at a, at a, at a voting booth, right? Not, this is not an absentee ballot. This is not a mail-in ballot. You know, I don't know how you make people wait, uh, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten hours. It's just, I, I don't know what the story is down there, but somehow it's got to get sorted. If people show up to vote, they've got to be able to vote in some sort of reasonable time. Understand the lines are going to be long. I've, I've been saying that I think that the, the Democratic governors are going to try to pull this on the, on the CCP virus, to charts, particularly in places like Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin, just three random states I pull out of the hat uh, with these Democratic governors are going to try to sh- limit polling places on on-day voting, saying that's regarding COVID-19 or the CCP virus to try to limit it. But Jack, why don't you walk through? Uh, we've got some uh, we've got some reports now that actually talk about when these votes can be counted. We got about two minutes. Can you walk through just uh, briefly what the uh, what the status is of one thing, because this is going to all trigger into election night, uh, you know, about 10 or 11 o'clock, which is going to be crescendo. James Carville last night, O'Brien Williams said, hey, th- he's watching the show because he said, hey, at 10.30 p.m. it's going to be, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be over. So, Jack, you got about a minute and then we'll come back and do it again. But take, take it away here. Well, Georgia's kind of a tell, right? You've got all these people showing up for early voting and this was all around. This wasn't just in downtown Atlanta. This was in the suburban areas. So what we're seeing here is probably on both sides of the football, a heck of a lot of enthusiasm to get out there and vote. What this will mean going forward, I'm not sure. But Georgia is one of the few states that actually starts to count those ballots immediately upon receipt. So we should see something from there perhaps, or at least an indication of what's going on, perhaps in the next week or so. Same with Arizona, same with Minnesota, same with Nevada. So these are states that are important for us, and these are the states that are going to begin counting these immediately. But they don't. But they're, but, but, but they're, but, but they're not. They're not counting. There's no. In fact, that's there's no reveal. Concerns. Supposedly, even though there's no reveal, but I don't even like the fact that they count. But but you can see the indication of is it Democrats versus Republicans? And there's a number. Of, we'll get into that analysis. Right. We later. can see you the see number of ballots collected by party uh, Republican, Democrat, Independent. But I think that one of the clear things, Steve, that we're seeing around the country, and there's been a lot of speculation about it. There was a wonderful article in the Wall Street Journal yesterday called Ballot Deadlines in the Supreme Court, written by the editorial board. And it points out to the importance of getting another Supreme Court justice on there, because more than likely, perhaps even before the election, many people are asking that the Supreme Court step in here and define what are the parameters for counting these votes, because some states are talking about counting them well into the middle of November, which creates a very difficult problem and uncertainty for the whole country. Back in a minute. Stephen K. Bannon. The epidemic is a demon, and we cannot let this demon hide. War Room. Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. We've also 
directed the FBI to immediately investigate the destruction of the Teddy Roosevelt and Abraham Lincoln statues in Portland and to prosecute the offenders to the fullest extent of federal law. Okay, finally taking some action. Uh, I don't know why they weren't directed months ago. If they were directed at these other statues, nothing's happened or we haven't heard about being arrested. Also, I want to stay. I said on the John Frederick radio show uh, earlier, I'm not a fan of these rallies at all. Uh, you know, the a massive crowd yesterday, tremendous enthusiasm. President was on a roll. All that's great, but it's being portrayed in the mainstream media as a super spreader event, and it's just turning off. You can tell by the an analytics, it's just turning off people 65 and older, which President Trump ran the tables on Hillary Clinton in, in 16. We need to do it again in 20. President Trump's got a huge... Uh, has had a huge, I think, done tremendous things for what he calls the seniors, right? He did that video last week saying, hey, you know, the seniors, uh, you know, are my, are my strength. But right now, this is not the case. The numbers from 16 are dramatically down, and the mainstream media just pushes this narrative of being a super spreader event. So as people yesterday, I think a better use of their time is walking neighborhoods, working phone banks, uh, and being the president in for 15 or 20 minutes digitally, they could see it at home where they're on a phone bank at their home on their computer talking to people. Right now, the stakes could not be higher. You've got the, the sublime to the ridiculous. You've got David, uh, David Rifkin talking about how they're going to pack the Supreme Court, how they're going to add states to the union, how they're going to the, get rid of the filibuster. As soon as they do that, all hell's going to break loose. And then you've got Keith Urban saying, hey, all these maggots, including Judge Barrett, right, who's a living saint, right, all these maggots like Judge Barrett have got to be in prison. So uh, the stakes couldn't be higher, and we should be knocking on doors. Right now, uh, this is the unglamorous part of, of the campaign, where you just got to focus on low-propensity voters. That's going to be the difference here. And you can tell the Democrats are in a panic mode, guys, because they've now pivoted. They're scrambling hard to get voters out for game day, either early vote or game day vote, so that you know at 10 or 11 o'clock at night, states like Georgia are competitive. And that's why you saw... I think they had 190,000 people vote yesterday. And look, hat tip to folks in Georgia. You stand in line five, six, seven, eight hours. Now, how much that's true, but it looked like those long lines were incredibly long. People had lawn chairs out. So, uh, you know, hat tip to citizens down there uh, voting. But the Democrats are in full panic mode to, uh, to get out because they realize, Jack, I think you've had some observations. New York Times is reporting this is where the president got the number from 80 million. Mail-in ballots or applications have been mailed, so this, it's a massive, and as Bill McGinley says, this is not about uh, cheating, this is about election administration. There's just no way that you can, that the country can, uh, can process that many, that many votes. And we're gonna put up the New York Times has a great schedule today about when people start counting, when they start opening up the ballots, et cetera. So Jack, I know you and Raheem got some, some breaking news on this and some observations on this kind of fiasco that's going to take place in the, in the voting process. I'll give my observation, then throw it over to Raheem for the breaking news. But let's think about it. We've got 80 million ballots that have been sent out. Everybody that I know has received multiple ballots. And so let's, let's look at it. Let's say 50% of those ballots arrived at a destination that was the correct one. So that's 40 million ballots. That cuts their narrative in half. Then we throw out, what, 25 to 50% of these ballots when they arrive back. This massive mail-in ballot thing is not 80 million. And this is why, in my mind, they are scrambling now. They know that they actually have to get these people to the polls 
to push this ball across the finish line. And I think they're behind the eight ball. I do agree with you, Steve, that it would be better to have all these people at these rallies out knocking on doors. I don't know that we're going to be able to stop the president because I think he he really likes to stick it to the media, especially with all of his stuff well, about well, I'm I, immune I now. I understand what he I understand. I, I I understand what he likes, but it's not about what he likes anymore. This is about this is for the country. This is for but, the deplorables. It's not about what you like. I get it. I get it. He wants he, to do rallies and he wants to have TV ads. Unfortunately, this is about victory. You got to win. There's no look at listen to Keith Overman. Look at listen to David Rifkin. I understand what he likes. He likes doing rallies, big rallies. We don't need big rallies now. The media only covers it. Look at CNN and MSNBC yesterday. Look at Politico. Look at every aspect of media covered that as a super spreader event. And what they're trying to do, these are very smart people. They're trying to get the 65-year-old vote more, worse than it is now, and it's not great. We used to, Donald Trump in 16 owned that vote. That's a demographic he, he's owned. He's done a tremendous job. You know, the, the, at the pandemic, there's clearly uh, among seniors, there's a difference of opinion that he should not be reinforcing that. President Trump has done too much for seniors, uh, and he's got too much to talk about here. I'm not saying he shouldn't be at rallies, but he's got, remember, Biden has no surrogates. Biden's vice president's not even a surrogate. The, but president Trump has, I think, 10 to 20 great uh, surrogates, everybody from, uh, from Ivanka and Laura Trump to Kimberly Guilfoyle, to Don Jr., and the family, and then you go to Corey Lewandowski, uh, Mayor Giuliani, John Fredericks for Virginia. You've got 20 great surrogates you can send out. Now, you're not going to draw 20,000 people, but you don't need to. You go to early voting places, people got to show their cards, or people, you go to phone banks. Rudy, the other day, last, I think it was Saturday, opened three offices in Northeast Pennsylvania. Jack, you know how important you know, was it Lackawanna County and Pike County in these places? They're, they're absolutely essential for Trump to, to be either be competitive or to win. He's there opening offices. That's what you need to do right now. This is the, this is the non-glamorous part of a campaign where you've got to massively focus and just grind it out. In 16, the, the central part of it was the rallies because the media covered it in a different way, right? We, were, we, we had no money versus Hillary Clinton. They covered it in a different way. The media hate Trump. They're really the opposition party. They're much savvier today. They know how to cover this. They don't cover the speeches. They don't cover the humor of it, right? What they try to do is cherry pick and twist what he's saying in very selective, uh, really very selective, uh, you know, areas. And then what they push out is that it's a super spreader event. Nobody's got masks. Everybody's crammed together. This is Trump's, you know, the this is Trump's. Uh, a group of maggots, right, according to Keith Overman. This is a group of maggots that don't care about anybody, and they target it to go to 65-year-old and older to try to get try to get Biden to be more competitive there because they understand, particularly, I'm going to throw two random states out, Arizona and Florida, that this demographic is absolutely essential because it, it votes, you know, it, 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 the turnout ratio for this is absolutely incredible. I'd like to hear your guys' opinion on the rallies versus the non-rallies. Raheem, start with you and then come back. To Jack, um, I'm just currently looking into some of the data on this. I kind of agree and kind of disagree with you on this. Now it, come, it comes from two okay, pers fine. two Good. perspectives. Number one, I agree with you that 
the media is heavily targeting the older voters, and I'm actually trying to pull some statistics on um, how older voters perceive uh, news reports and which outlets that they trust. I think that's important to understanding how they'll react to something like that. The the part where I disagree on, which is it's, it's more of a, a, an emotional uh, reaction, a gut reaction to this, is that the media is trusting the media is at an all time low, and people are seeing the juxtaposition between, you know, say the NBA was there, was that what it was the other day when everybody is out in the streets for the NBA uh, celebration, everybody out on the streets for the protests and the looting, and you know, they they understand that the rules are being applied selectively and selectively to Trump supporters and the president himself. So I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I guess I'm not decided about it. I can see both sides of the coin on this. Well, they could direct it better, Raheem. You know, if you're going to go to a rally, then everybody should get a pack with 50 doorknob uh, hangers and all agree to go out and flood the zone after they leave that thing. So maybe they could leverage it, uh, keep Donald Trump happy, and actually uh, add to the movement to a certain extent. I think that might be a positive outcome. Steve, uh, what about what? Yeah, what about how do you think? Look, I know how they're targeting it, but what I want to go back to. Uh, do you agree with my theory that you should be doing this with surrogates and then coming in digitally? And the way I like digitally is you put a news hook in instead of tweeting it out. You put a news hook in, and every time you come in and force the media to cover your talk. Right now, if you if you listen to the speech last night in Sanford, uh, President Trump's got some great stuff in there, but the media outside of One American News. And, uh, and Fox, and I'm not even sure Fox played the whole thing. They might have. Uh, I'm not sure that Fox News actually played the entire, the entire rally. Fox Business did, I think. But, you know, you got One America, you got Real America's Voice, you got others. But that's back to the high propensity. You know, the people that listen to go to this, the, watch this show, the people that go to Real uh, America's Voice and watch, you know, National Pulse at 3 o'clock, people that are on Fox Business watching Lou Dobbs, these are high propensity voters, right? We have these. The high propensity voters have got to be the force multiplier, right? It's how to use these as force multiplier. What I don't want to do is take that force multiplier and have them stand in line forever to go to a rally, then sit around for an hour and a half, hear my shtick, which they all love. I realize people love this. And then we're now in the kill zone. This is the red zone, right? We, we, we've moved the chains. Now it's time you got to get in the end zone. And the way you get in the end zone is you got to work smart. We only got, what, 400 hours left or 425 hours. Every hour has got to count At right now. And that when I say count, it means get bodies out to the polls. Targeting the surrogates is really a good idea as well. Yesterday, Rudy Giuliani was in Pennsylvania. Now, you have to remember, yesterday was Columbus Day. Now it's, uh, you know, angrier at uh, you know, the colonization of America Day. But we have to remember that most of these Columbus statues around America were actually privately funded by patriotic American citizens of Italian descent. They put these statues up to show both their love of their new country and their pride in the fact that one of their own took part in, you know, finding it, etc. So Rudy made this clear to them. He said, look, they want to tear down your history, right? And a lot of these Italian Americans are traditional urban and suburban Democrats, old Kennedy Democrats, and they're starting to pay attention. I would like to see more targeted surrogates like this going around the country talking to people. I think the pastors, uh, the pastors that we had on before would be fantastic. I love the way Herschel Walker talks directly to the people about right and wrong. All these guys should be out there every single day. I'm with you on that 100%. 
By the way, I do think they have. I do think the campaign, look, Stepien and, and Jason Miller and the team, you know, the war, war room team that's over there, Greg Manns, Jason Miller, Steve Cortez, and the rest, are, I, I think they've got these guys, you know, they have these targeted groups and they're out. I'm saying leverage that up by having a presidential visit, you know, for 10 minutes on the big screen in it. That's the power play and not do the rise. I understand the president loves the rallies and drafts off the rallies and feeds off the rallies. That's fantastic. But right now, it's not, you got to eat your spinach. We're going to have an ice cream sundae at 11 o'clock at night on the 3rd. When Ohio comes in, we're leading in Pennsylvania, we're leading in Florida. Now, you know, James Carville's wrong. James Carville's saying it's going to be over by 1030. If you believe Carville, then you've got to think that Arizona, Florida, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania are all going in the wrong direction, right? In order to reverse that, you only got so many hours in the day. We have to work smart. The way you work smart, hey, it's in the middle of a virus. Let's use Skype. Let's use, I don't want to use Zoom because that's CCP. Let's use Skype. Let's use other technologies we have Steve, to leverage the president's time and effort. Yes, sir. Steve, what do you say, though, to the people who would say, uh, actually, the, the point of Trump doing these rallies is to show the excitement, enthusiasm, juxtaposition between the two campaigns. That's the most important thing for them now is to say to people, hey, it is safe to go out. It is safe to come out. It is safe to go to vote. Uh, it, it, you know, and, and, and that's how you that's how you push this thing over the line. Uh, it, the answer is, um, I think people see that enthusiasm already. I don't think you have to wash, rinse, repeat on that. I just don't. And also, uh, low information, low propensity voters are not watching the cable news operation where this is playing, right? They're just not. So they're not going to see that. You've got to go. A low propensity voter, a sporadic voter, is sporadic for a reason. You've got to go knock on a door, sell them, and get them out. That's where you need to spend your time. And I don't think you can do both. Okay. Short break, back with the War Room Posse, next, War Room Pandemic. War Room Pandemic with Stephen K. Bannon. The epidemic is a demon, and we cannot let this demon hide. War Room Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Hey, I think I'm hearing. We got to double check this, but Fox and uh, Fox and um, and uh, uh, Fox Business did not cover the entire rally live. I understand I'm being outvoted in the live stream by the War Room posse. Hey, guess what? Get a reality check. Let me re-emphasize this: when Fox and Fox Business are not covering the whole thing, right? Then it's getting no lift at all. It's it's a, it's a it's a it's a uh, it's a um, tree falling in the forest. Do you hear the sound? Right. Ladies and gentlemen, we got how many days? Twenty days in a wake up. This is this is the red zone. It's either going to happen or not happen, right? Victory here is everything. There's no there's no trophy for second place on this one. Do you want me to play the Keith Overman thing again? You want me to get David Rifkin back up here again? Raheem tells me seventy percent of the people in the thing disagree with the rallies. Guess what? You're wrong. Okay, you're wrong. And I realize it's a tough conversation you have to have with the president. I'm the biggest supporter of the president, nonstop day in and day out, all over the globe. And this one is like, I know he wants to do the rallies, he feeds off the rallies, but somebody's got to check, guys, got to check. If Fox Business and Fox News are not covering it wall to wall, then what are we doing here? This is about, you got to you got to use operating leverage. And operating leverage, you got to be smart. You only got so many hours in the day. You can't be on a plane flying around, right? You got to use that time to be up on digital and use these great surrogates. Look, you got 20 surrogates. Biden's got none. 
right? So I just think I'm, I, I'm, I, it, you need force multipliers. The people at the rally are your core base. These are the people that get it. These are the people that can articulate it. These are the people that can sell it. You know what they need to be doing now? They need to be selling. They don't need to be listening. Action, action, action. They got to be on phone banks. They got to be walking door to door. They got to sell the Trump program because clearly that program's not just, it's just not breaking through the mainstream media. Why? You got the seniors. President Trump has done more for the seniors than anybody. You got the seniors that are, you know, trending towards Biden. I think we won seniors by 18%, 19%, something like that in, in 16. It's down to 6% or 5%. You got to get that up, particularly in two random states like Arizona and, uh, and, uh, and Florida, and even now North Carolina. It's, a, it's an important part. So, guys, I want to go back to you. Raheem, don't, don't you have somebody that somebody you know that's sent you four or five things in these ballots? I mean, look, this is going to be ballot mayhem all over the country, but what we have to do... This is not going to matter. They're not going to need to steal it if you don't represent. You must have, step one, you must put up the bold red predicate on the evening uh, at 10, between 10 and 11 o'clock. Carvel gets it. He says at 10.30 it's going to be called for Biden. They're thinking of a landslide here. And when they say landslide, that means they wipe out a couple of seats in the Senate and they take, and they take the... Uh, and they take control of that. So, guys, I'd love to hear your response. I want to hear from the posse. Love hearing from the posse, even when you're wrong, right? So, so you know, jump in here and let, let me let me hear you. Just your, quickly. And I realize, oh, it shows the enthusiasm. Everything. Yeah, go ahead. One of the things that Give somebody... Give me the best snarky comment. Sure, I will. It's not even mine. I took it from the live chat. Somebody yeah. said in the live chat, hey, you know, we know that Fox is a problem, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but there are these YouTube channels which stream, like Real America's Voice and, and Right Side Broadcasting Network, and they said, oh, Right Side had like 300,000 uh, last night. So I actually went and checked to see if they were correct. Uh, they had 915, 855,000, nearly 1 million people watching um, on that one single YouTube stream. So I don't know that it's it's not being given what you call the lifts, Steve. I, I do agree that there's other things you can be doing That's in that all, time. No, no, stop, stop. That's all, that one million, That's trust me, if a person's going to the Real America Voice live stream and watching this, that is a hardcore Trump person. That is in the, that's in the upper quartile of high propensity voter, high propensity Trump supporter. Mm -hmm. That's our base. That's the posse. That's, that is the force multiplier. What I need that force multiplier to do, during that time of the rally, I need to do five rallies around the country. I need Rudy Giuliani in Philadelphia. I need Corey Lewandowski in Florida. I need Laura Trump in North Carolina. I need Eric Trump out in western Pennsylvania. I need Don Jr. in Ohio. Bang, 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 with Trump coming in with a news hook and force CNN to do something more than cover this as a super spreader event. They're covering it as super spreader events. Those million people on live stream and the people at the thing, I need them working. I don't need them watching. It's time for watching's over. I need you working, okay? I hate to be so blunt about it, but spinach today, ice cream on, ice cream on the night of the third. If you get an ice cream now, you're not going to get another dessert on the third. That's just the way it is. And, and I'm kind of adamant about this. You need a pay, you don't, need, you don't even need commercials. We're getting outspent in some of these states, having the spots up, and I don't believe the theory that you're going to get low propensity voters and mid propensity voters with, uh, when you're getting outspent like this with the commercials. The spots are terrific. It's not about the spots, it's about every marginal dollar. The marginal utility of every dollar right now to me is just ground game, ground game, ground game. I want those million people that were watching on Real America's Voice last night or on the live stream 
I want them knocking on doors, right? I want them knocking on doors. I want them knocking on doors or working a phone bank. I don't want them to have time with 400 hours left. I don't want them to have time to watch a rally. We, we, we've, we've seen the rallies. We know there's not one thing in that rally last night that, that, that was said except the more beat down on Joe. But for the crowd that saw it, they know that. They know Joe's got dementia. Here's the point. You've got to go to a low propensity voter, knock on his door and convince him Joe, Joe Biden's got dementia, and that's why you've got to go vote. And you, everybody in your house has got to vote. So this is going to be a scramble. People just have to remember. Let's not believe a fantasy. Let's look at reality. We drew an inside straight in 2016. Now, that inside straight was earned by the president did an incredible job in the closing weeks of this. Also, the team around him that highly targeted where you had to go and what you had to do, right? That's how we drew the inside straight. You're going to have to draw another inside straight now, I think. I, I, I've always said that. But you can do it. It's all out there. Human action. Action, action, action. So guys, give me rejoinder, Jack Maxey. I know, I know that I know the Jack Maxey wing of the party. You, you wants know, to do, I've been waiting wants to do rallies every second of every day. Listen, for yeah, the, go ahead. For the sake of fairness, I think I want to just point out one error. Joe Biden definitely has surrogates. Uh, remember last week, one of his top surrogates, Jane Fonda. Everybody who remembers America as it was has to remember her traitorous acts in Vietnam. She's a surrogate for the for, for her Vice President Joe Biden. The other thing that somebody put on the live stream that I just think is great, they said, we're now maggots, M-A-G-A-T-S. Make America great again, Trump. Thank you, Keith Olbermann. Some it. deplorable just made a million dollars. That has know? been around for about four that's years, a, Jack. That, that's that's a, okay. Yeah, that, that's, actually, that, that's, actually, that's actually pronounced maggé. <laughs> okay, we're going to take a short commercial break. We'll be back with the next episode. Next episode, we're a pandemic. All you deplorables, get in my grill on the live stream. I want to hear what you guys are, are saying today. Uh, be back in a moment. We're going to talk about the pandemic. Jack Max is going to walk you through everything. <laughs> 